When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. All right, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. Coming up on the show today, we're going to get a call from Congressman Don Beyer uh, of Virginia. He's on the Ways and Means Committee, so we can talk about the tax proposals from Biden that we heard about yesterday. We've also got Kristen Hahn, a partner at Rock Solutions, an old Blue Dog advisor. And, of course, we have Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor. We'll get into the Republican response, of course, to Biden's proposals, as well as all the action today on police policy measures. Good day to talk about tax measures, because in a little bit. We're going to get Congressman Don Beyer calling us. Uh, as I mentioned, he's on the Ways and Means Committee. He's also the chair of the Joint Economic Committee, uh, and he was in the room last night. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit with Rick uh, and Kristen about what we heard. And actually, we have some sound uh, for, that we want to play from the president talking about some big picture stuff uh, on, I guess, the the economic theories behind his uh, his proposals. Let's let, Let's play that sound from Biden. My fellow Americans, trickle down. Trickle down economics has never worked. It's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out. So we heard a lot from Republicans on, on a variety of issues from from uh, Tim Scott, of course. But first, let's let's hear from Rick Scott of Florida, Senator Rick Scott, who also happens to be the chair of the National Republican Senatorial uh, Committee, uh, big name in terms of uh, looking ahead to 2022. Let's play the sound in response from Rick Scott on some of the fiscal issues here. I mean, this is just a, a radical wish list. There's free everything. I'm surprised there wasn't free cars and free houses. And by the way, as government gets bigger, what happens? They control your life. This is called socialism. If they're going to give you all the money, then they're going to control exactly what you get. They'll control exactly what health care you get, everything you get, the child care you get. They'll make all the decisions for you. It's pure socialism. It's never worked anywhere. And what didn't he talk about? Oh, how he's going to pay for it. All right. So I want to ask Rick Davis, you know, Rick, you're, you're a, a good person to have on here as a, a longtime uh, John McCain advisor. 
uh, on that quote from Biden, getting into the the philosophical stuff, saying that this is uh, this is sort of the death of trickle down. But I'm curious if you see as much significance to Biden's proposals. We're talking about six trillion dollars overall. You include the the stimulus, uh, the infrastructure proposal, and this American Families Plan. Do you really think he's reinventing the wheel here in terms of a president's views on economics, or is he overstating it a little bit there? You know, it's a, a little bit of both. I mean, it actually harkened back to my days. I, I, I spent a lot of time in the Reagan administration, including the Reagan White House. And this was the argument against Ronald Reagan's economic policies. Oh, trickle down. That's awful stuff. You know, you're going to cut the taxes and the government's going to lose money. And, and of course, it was all based on uh, supply side economics in, in the 1980s. That was sort of Republican orthodoxy. And there was a place somewhere where you could lower taxes to the point where you'd actually increase tax revenue. And that's what really sparked the the economic growth and expansion in the 1980s. So it worked then. So it's not exactly accurate to say that, quote, trickle down, which was the negative impression you wanted to leave with people around supply side, didn't ever work. Um, But look, you're right, though, Jack, this is a major expansion even of democratic philosophy around taxes and spending. Um, You know, he's redefining the social safety net by putting government guarantees, federal guarantees on child care, preschool, college. We've never seen that kind of expansion, you know, increasing the federal role in picking winners and losers in infrastructure. We all agree we want infrastructure, but do we have to put our thumb on the balance when we say it's going to be this kind of infrastructure? We're going to pick companies that will build a certain kind of EV um, uh, charging stations and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's it, it, it's more reminiscent of the great society of, of 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 President Johnson and the New Deal of FDR. These were huge social reorganization programs that actually changed the course of America and how it functioned. Right. I think that's where Biden's reaching. Right. Rick, I want to keep talking to you a little bit later about this, but I understand we have Congressman Don Beyer on with us, who was in the room yesterday. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I got to ask, I I was scrolling on Twitter while I watched yesterday, and it sounds like a lot of people think maybe Ted Cruz fell asleep. Did you stay awake the whole time? (laughs) I did stay awake the whole time. I wasn't bored at all. What's it like in there when you've got 200 people in a room that I understand would usually have like 1,600 people? What's the vibe yeah, during pretty, this kind of speech? It was, a, it was a little spooky. Actually, it was more like it normally is on a day when you go to speak and, and you're all nervous and you realize there's only seven people in the room and you hope somebody's <laughs> on C-SPAN. Oh. And, uh, but it was weird. Only, only Chief Justice Roberts, one member of the Diplomatic Corps, only General Milley. So it was pretty different. I want to ask you a a practical question. Spooky is a good word, by the way. I I can only imagine. But I I have to ask, when we're looking through this list of everything Biden wants, I'm thinking of both the infrastructure bill you're working on and uh, the family's plan. Realistically, uh, when you ask somebody like Bernie Sanders, he says, look, we should just go with the reconciliation route. We're not going to get a whole bipartisan package. Uh, You're you're on ways and means. You're familiar with the, the tax measures Biden wants. Do you think realistically, Democrats are just going to have to do this via reconciliation? Um, Yes, but I don't want to close the door. I was pleased last night that the president did a a kind shout out to, you know, Shelley Capito and those Republicans who brought a a plan to him. Um, And I think you could, on the spending side, you know, the president's a 2.5 trillion, Shelley Capito and the Republicans are like 600 billion. That's a big gap. 
But if you imagine something in between, that could you know, possibly work. What's harder to imagine is the Republicans going along with any of the proposed tax increases that, that the president mentioned. And that sort of forces you towards reconciliation. That's exactly where I was headed, Congressman. <clears throat> uh, it, I thought it was a two good shout outs last night to Republicans by the president. Uh, she- Shelley Moore Capito's program and and on prison reform or not prison reform, police reform, you know, by Tim Scott, who later gave the Republican response to that and actually recognized that. So uh, I, I think that the, the, the big question, especially from a, 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 a raising revenue point of view, uh, as you say, you know, there's some trading range that actually could be hopeful. Uh, with a uh, bipartisan solution on what I guess we're calling hard infrastructure or something like that. But yeah, yeah. but but to get there, you're going to need to raise the revenue for it. And, and, and I guess my question is, you've been in conversations already around this tax plan. Uh, where do you see the common ground there? Uh, is, is there a part of what we heard last night, you know, basically $4 trillion of revenue raising, you know, that you think could actually find some common ground? Yeah, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, the easiest thing is addressing the shortfalls in reported business income. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole notion that you know, personal income, like 97% of it gets reported to the IRS, but maybe only 55 or 60% of business income. So there are a lot of taxes that are actually due. You don't have to raise any rates. You just need to um, fund the IRS in, in a much more aggressive fashion to take care of it. Yeah, as as we know, it's sort of become part of the the, the zeitgeist that the most of the IRS audits are of poor people making or cheating on earned income tax credit in Mississippi, you know, rather than the big money from corporations that are avoiding it. And then and, you go, and you would to, hope that that was bipartisan, right? I mean, you 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 don't yeah, notice that Republicans yeah. are out there saying, "Oh no, we we're for the tax cheats." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a hard hard case to make. Yeah, I think we all want fairness. We're all upset by unfairness. Right. And, and I think, you know, the argument about 28 um, percent is more about, hey, the, the effective rate was 7.8 percent. As, as the president mentioned, 55 of the largest corporations paid zero. Now, some of that um, was it wasn't necessarily cheating. You know, the, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act said you could have you know, instantaneous deduction of, of long term capital expenses. You know, um, that's how that works. But there are ways to tighten that up so that there is a. A, a fair tax coming from almost all corporations. Hey, Congressman, I, I wanted to yeah. ask on this capital gains tax issue. Uh, it, was, it was big, big news last week, and I understand the proposal from Biden now. Uh, currently, there's a prohibition on taxing capital gains at death, uh, and the the proposal now from Biden is to do away with that prohibition. I'm curious, do do you have any issues with that? Where do you stand on that, and should there be exemptions there? Uh, I almost certainly think there should be exemptions. You, you think about uh, you know, passing a, a house down within the family. Um, if if you have a complete step up in basis, and that house that mom and dad lived in for 40 years might not even be affordable after the taxes are paid. So I, I think you also have to put this in the context of his saying no tax increases at all for families making less than $400,000 a year. And that's most American families. Um, but it, it's going it to have to struggle. The step up in basis and the capital gains tax um, are probably, I would say, the, the least worked out parts of his plan. Because you, as we've seen in you know, the, the New York newspapers the last couple of days, there could be unintended consequences, um, including all kinds of capital gains um, being captured this year. 
um, before a tax increase kicked in? And what also are, are the implications of just freezing investments where, where you won't turn them over because you're looking at a 39.6% tax? Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's, it's a lot still to be worked out. And one of the things, the responsibilities we have over Ways and Means is thinking about uh, the positive consequences and the unintended consequences of these various bills. Right. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have a, a Ways and Means guy uh, on on the show at a time like this. Really appreciate it. That was Congressman Don Beyer, Democrat from Virginia. Uh, coming up, we're going to keep talking about some of these tax issues, Biden's big plans, uh, what Republicans have to say about it. Uh, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, along with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis. I've also got Kristen Hahn here, a Democratic strategist, a former Blue Dog Coalition communications director, and a partner at Rock Solutions. Uh, Kristen, I'm so happy to have you on here with us today, because just earlier we were talking about the the big, grandiose language that uh, President Biden used about the end of trickle-down economics. Uh, from a Blue Dog perspective, from someone who, who understands that, uh, I'm curious what you think about how yesterday's speech and the the economics behind it are going to play with the moderate Democrats who seem so pivotal in Congress, especially the Senate, but also the House. Yeah, I think, you know, the margins are so thin in the House that everybody plays a role um, on both sides of the Capitol. But, you know, I think in, in speaking with um, another than following the speech, you know, it, the president's words were aspirational, and that's his job, and um, I think they appreciated that and appreciated a lot of the things that he wants to do. Um, you know, with the, with the first COVID relief package, there was a real sense of urgency among the whole caucus, including the moderates, uh, those in the center, that we need to get something done. And if Republicans weren't going to come to the table um, in, a, in a big way, then we just needed to do it through reconciliation. I think going forward, it's a little bit different. Um, They have been delivering the message to both the White House and to their own leadership. Um, And I'm talking about the members of the House that are in the middle that, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to come together. We cannot pass anything. We should not pass anything that cannot pass the Senate. Um, And that's that's really important, uh, an important thing to note, because 
you know, there's it's a lot more difficult to get things through the Senate. Back in, uh, you know, 10 years ago when the Democrats held the majority, they would pass these bills as like they would call them show votes. Let's show the Senate that we've got, you know, we can pass these big, bold, um, big, bold things. And um, that's not necessarily going to happen this time around. People really want to come together. There are discussions between the moderates on the House side and the Senate side about what's in the realm of the possible. And there's definitely a desire to work across the aisle. Yeah, I'm curious about why that is. It seems like there's some leadership from House moderates. Obviously, we talk so much about Joe Manchin in the Senate, um, and I, you know, I, I kind of chuckled when I even said the words "blue dogs." It seems like this is more coming, less coming from blue dogs these days than uh, who are you thinking of? The Problem Solvers Caucus is that who who is kind of the critical House members these days? I I would I mean they, they're definitely playing a role, and they they have together ideas that are constructive. Um, I would actually look at, um, uh, if I have to give an example, a very specific member who's played a major role in uh, getting things to the floor and uh, making sure that you have the moderate votes there and holding the votes. And it's Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy from Florida. Hmm, Um, She's both a new Dem and she's the leader of the Blue Dogs and has kind of emerged as this really powerful force because she's willing to come to the table. She has good relationships on both sides of the aisle. Um, and has played a, a role behind the scenes, not just, you know, screaming loudly in the press um, about things, but really um, working with, with both sides. So I think she's going to be really critical um, as somebody that you, you might not think of, um, you know, in, 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 in cultivating um, discussions that could, you know, bring forth bipartisan compromise. Right. By the way, Rick, I, I want to kind of double back on what we were talking about. Um, you, you know, you you mentioned earlier Biden is pushing hard, but it sounds like you're you're not totally convinced that this is some uh, revolution in economic theory behind a president. Or, or where, what do you see as the significance uh, of of Biden and this big big language uh, in terms of? I, I mean, it, he, he is going further than you know Obama. He, he seems to ha- be using this crisis as a uh, sort of as a tool for something bigger, right? Oh, yeah. I don't mean to underestimate the grab. I mean, uh, you know, that that was a big, big plan. I mean, he's been saying, you know, since he was a candidate that he thought that we needed to go big and and, and you have to go back to really significant uh, culture changing, culture shifting moves by other presidents in our history to see this kind of uh, effort to try and use uh, the budget, the, the the policy realm to really create a lot of systemic shift and, 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 and especially focused around the social safety net, right? I mean, like we talk a lot about infrastructure, relative common ground on that, probably the easiest thing to get done in a bipartisan fashion. But then when you look at the other $3 trillion worth of spending uh, recommendations that the Biden White House has put forward, that is a substantial shift in how we manage our economy, especially around the social safety net in America. We are starting to now say, oh, well, the government's going to cover your expenses for uh, pre-K. We're going to cover your college expenses for the first two years. We're going to, you know, decide what goes into that infrastructure, whether it's green or whether it's, you know, traditional. And, 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 and none of these things in a, in a microcosm is significantly different than what we've seen in the past. But the totality of it, you know, with the huge amount of spending after the first year in office, he'll have committed if he gets everything he wants, six trillion dollars of spending. 
and is, that is monumental. We got we got to take a quick break, but is that an MMT thing? Do you think, <laughs> or am I backing into an MMT discussion for no good reason? You could be <laughs> for I, no I will, good reason. I will avoid that. <laughs> Maybe it's a greater volume of the same kind of theories uh, rather than a, a real sort of revolution. Uh, but we're going to keep talking about more the practical side. Uh, you know, I, I saw Susan Collins of Maine also complaining about this. Looks like four trillion dollars in spending. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about. Tim Scott's response last night. Uh, We'll get to that very soon. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. I'm here with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis. I've also got Kristen Hahn, who's a partner at Rock Solutions, on the line. I want to talk about Senator Tim Scott's rebuttal yesterday. He's a Republican from South Carolina, uh, a rising star in Republican politics, I think a lot of people would say, who had the daunting job of uh, picking out all of the things in Biden's plan to cross an X through. Let's, Let's listen to the sound we have from him. Less than 6% of the president's plan goes to roads and bridges. It's a liberal wish list of big government waste, plus the biggest job-killing tax hikes in a generation. Experts say when all is said and done, it would lower wages of the average American worker and shrink our economy. I also heard from Senator Susan Collins, obviously a critical uh, moderate in the Senate of Maine, uh, who said earlier today, talking to reporters, it appears to be $4 trillion in spending, and I'm worried it would ignite inflation. So we're hearing the big spending talk, the inflation warnings from Republicans. Uh, I'm here with, as I said, Rick Davis. Rick, uh, tell me, this is like the Republican greatest hits that they're replaying, but I I have to say, uh, under the past Republican administration, as many Democrats have pointed out, you know, the deficit got up to, I think it was $985 billion, just shy of a, a trillion before the pandemic. Does this stuff work now after what we saw the last four years? Well, yeah, I think it's a real question as to credibility, right? I mean, um, talk about a tax and spend um, uh, administration under Donald Trump. He was a tax cut and spend anyway uh, uh, kind of president. And so that was kind of a new model we weren't used to. Uh, arguably, uh, like George Bush, but you know, he's, his his administration uh, did not adhere to conservative economic policies and 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 added enormously to the federal debt. Uh, so, we haven't had a run lately of conservative economic uh, ideas within the Republican Party, which I think actually led to uh, a candidacy like uh, Donald Trump, since we didn't seem to care. And, uh, and so now everyone's sort of snapping back. I mean, literally, there's whiplash in the United States Senate and the Republican caucus everywhere you go. Uh, these guys sound more like Phil Graham, uh, Ronald Reagan, people like that who really were deficit hawks, spending hawks, um, uh, you know, tax hawks. And, um, and I was actually a little surprised, frankly, that, that um, Senator Scott didn't spend more time in the, in the Republican rebuttal to the speech last night talking more about economic policy. Frankly, a third of the speech mm-hmm. was on race. And to be honest, yeah. Republicans talking about race is a dead end, in my view, politically. Well, I, I want to ask him more about that because I, I, it stood out to me. Uh, you know, we played the clip on infrastructure, but the, he talked a little about infrastructure. He talked a lot about race and the policing bill. Uh, he talked about schools. That's a, I, you know, I, I think that's something Republicans might see as a winner uh, is, is school reopenings. Um, 
what does this mean for 2022 in terms of, you know, this this could have been a chance to sort of define where the party is going. Uh, but I, I got the sense maybe they were putting Tim Scott out there as a, a person they're looking to uh, rather than a series of politics. Uh, w- w- do they have an answer in terms of sort of defining the party, do you think, Rick? Yeah, I'm, I, I think honestly a little of both, right? I mean, Tim Scott's a very good guy. He's a, a respected uh, member of the Republican caucus in the United States Senate. And, uh, and, and whether he has any uh, real ambitions politically beyond where he is today, I, I would be surprised. But he is a good spokesman and he did a good job last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I question the substance, right? I mean, if there's a Republican response to the Biden proposal, it, it, it certainly has a lot to do with how we go about accumulating four billion dollars to spend on the policies that he was promoting and and i think there are a lot of holes uh even as don Byer mentioned earlier in our segment uh on things like the capital gains at death um that could have been very com- you know uh compelling arguments related to this speech that uh that the republicans for whatever reason who put this speech together for tim scott decided not to use yeah, I'm curious. I, I was, saw this headline come up on the terminal earlier today. Uh, U.S. recovery gains steam as spending fuels 6.4% GDP growth. Spending fueling that, uh, you know, who who's spending it? Well, there's a lot of spending proposals from Biden. Kristen, uh, do you think uh, when we see what might be he- sort of an inevitable snapback from this recession, is the credit going to go to Biden? And are Republicans doing anything to change that? I mean, I think it's it's about how we message to the American people. So far, um, you know, the Democrats have done a good job of of talking about the COVID relief package, what it provided to people. I think people are fear, feeling the effects of that. The Republicans are very good. And so when I saw um, the response last night from the senator, um, it's very interesting to me because um, it tells me that the Republicans are seeing data, and we are too, by the way, that um, – you know, in internal polls that, uh, which are not always right, but um, that, you know, going back to school, things that are very personal to people are what matters right now. Um, And so, you know, it didn't surprise me that he didn't focus so much on that. You know, the the debt and deficit and the spending, that goes in and out of popularity with the American public. We've seen Mm -hmm. that over the years. Um, You know, I remember the first press release I put out um, when I became the uh, official Blue Dog spokesperson, oh gosh, in 2007, was just, you know, our fury over the $7 trillion debt. So, you know, and, and so people care about that sometimes, you know, but in order to get our spending under control, um, you know, everybody likes to point fingers, everybody likes to blame the other side, but it's kind of like a pox on everybody's houses because it's going to take mandatory, um, you know, controls on mandatory spending and discretionary spending and tax cuts cost money, um, mm. you know, they, they add to the, the ledger. So, you know, I think it's a, it's going to be an interesting path forward. Like I said, you know, he's done a lot of work in a, in a bipartisan right. fashion in some ways, you know, but we'll see. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I was surprised Tim Scott did not raise in any significant way uh, the border. Republicans talking so much about the border and what they call a crisis at the border didn't feature into Tim Scott's rebuttal at all. Uh, coming up, I want to talk about this police bill that Tim Scott is working on. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Top three.
is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from zero to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach zero Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. I'm here with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Kristen Hahn, a partner at Rock Solutions. One really important part, I think, of Joe Biden's speech yesterday uh, for the legislative process, especially here in Washington, was giving a deadline, a May 25th deadline for this police reform bill that Democrats and a number of Republicans seem interested in. Uh, We heard a little from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi on this. Let's play sound from her. We will bring it to the floor when we are ready, and we'll be ready when we have a good, strong, bipartisan bill. Yikes. That's, uh, that doesn't sound like she's that happy to get a deadline from the president. I really am curious, especially because that's like four weeks away. That's not that far. Uh, Kristen, what do you think it does to lawmakers, uh, both in, in the legislative process and politically, when you've got a president coming in and saying, get this done in the next few weeks? I mean, I think it's he he's saying that I, I when you get to the legislative process, you know, he can say that. But honestly, the speaker is right and she's very good at it. And if she thinks she wants a bipartisan bill, then then that's more than likely what's going to happen. But she's not going to work on that timeline. Um, so, you know, she doesn't bring bills before. Um, I've only seen it once or twice that that don't actually make it off the House floor. And if she wants a bipartisan bill, then, um, you know, Hopefully that's what can happen, but I don't put too much weight into that that specific deadline that the president had. Yeah, I, I, I have to ask, I don't know if we have a Latin translator here, but there was a lot of talk today. Do either of you speak Latin, Kristen, Rick? Do you know any Latin? Not when I'm sober. <laughs> I know. I, I took, I took um, six years of, of Latin, but six I might Six years. Myself. Okay, what is, what is respondeat superior? Do you know that one? 
Um, I, I will probably botch this, so I'm going to head and say that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, according to uh, the research I did, I spent my afternoon learning Latin. Uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse brought this up. That means let the master answer. Uh, I think, you know, in English, we've just been using the phrase uh, qualified immunity. But this is sort of the central issue here with this police bill that they're working on, that Tim Scott is working on, Cory Booker is involved uh, and the question appears to be uh, how much personal liability is involved when a police officer individually uh, does wrong. Uh, obviously, you know, we're talking about the George Floyd death in the case of killing, but how much responsibility goes to the individual officer and uh, how much goes to their superiors or, or uh, the department itself? Rick, I I'm curious how much possibility you see just in the two sides coming together on this issue in such a politicized issue the, a year after the death of George Floyd. Do you see much uh, possibility in sort of a, a compromise on an issue like that? Yeah, Senator Scott's uh, partner in crime on this, Lindsey Graham, um, who, you know, uh, just uh, finished his tour of duty as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, um, you know, has made a big deal about this exposure, uh, legal exposure for police versus the department. And, and the comments coming out of the meetings today, especially with the families um, and the advocates, uh, right. members of George Floyd family and the advocates met with these senators, um, Graham, Scott, Booker, Karen Bass in the House. And, and, and it sounded like they could find room in the legislation to cover these legal issues the way the families would want them to. And if they can satisfy the families, then I think they've got a deal. And if and if Graham and Scott go out into the Republican caucus and say, you know, this is something we got to be for, they'll pick up some other votes that way, too. So uh, I, I do think it's exactly what uh, Kristen said. I mean, if, if they can get a bill out of these guys, then then and only then probably the speaker can get it uh, run through the House. Yeah, I, I understand there's uh, some skepticism among more progressive members about giving too much up in terms of accountability of an individual police officer. But I, I, that's a really interesting point, Rick, about, you know, if you if you win over the people who have become the face of this, the family of George Floyd, it'd be pretty hard for Democrats to turn down an offer. Uh, Kristen, wh what do you make of that? Do you, do you think Democrats are in a, a position where they have to show something? How, how likely do you think we are to see some of the more hardline Democrats uh, become willing to compromise? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree with everything that was said. Um, with the Democratic caucus, when if you're going to bring uh, a truly bipartisan bill that, that can pass the Senate uh, to the floor, you're necessarily going to lose some of the members on the far left. But if you have the support of the family, you know, this, I think that there are a lot of Democrats who are going to want to come to the table. You know, all of the Democrats in the House voted um, to get rid of qualified immunity previously, but I think that they'd be willing, if there's a reasonable compromise on the issue, to pass something off of the House floor. You know, I noticed there's a, another quote today from Dick Durbin uh, talking about, in his words, a positive spirit in the room. And I, it did kind of strike me between the bipartisan talks uh, on this policing issue and the positive feedback we've heard from Shelley Moore Capito and those types um, uh, on infrastructure. Am I being Pollyanna-ish if I think this is a surprising amount of bipartisan cooperation for 
you, know, you listen to Republicans talk about how Biden has gone back on his word on unity. Um, but I, I mean, we're we're watching a legislative process go forth. Maybe it falls apart. But Kristen, am, am I being naive to say it sounds like Durbin's right when he says that it's this sort of a positive spirit on Capitol Hill? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but you know, Durbin generally speaks what he sees, and so you know that can change. But you know, you also saw the president giving a shout out to um, you know the bipartisan negotiations um, that are going on. I think with infrastructure, there are always you know we and you know with all due respect to um, the press, a lot of this conflict-based coverage always covers where people are fighting. Behind the scenes, um, there there are significant talks going on um, around infrastructure, however you define it, um, not just roads and bridges, but um, and and other items. So you know, I I'm encouraged by um, the whip uh, comments, and I don't think they're they're unfounded. He is the whip. Uh, by the way, we also heard from Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, on this policing issue. Uh, similar words to Pelosi saying we need a strong, strong bill. I don't think it's necessarily appreciated uh, by lawmakers when uh, when the president gives you a deadline and says, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, get the get something done. By the way, I, I want to switch topic a little bit uh, to one of my favorite topics coming up. Uh, we're bringing back earmarks in Congress. Congress, not we, they. Uh, lawmakers are, are bringing back earmarks, and actually tomorrow is the deadline uh, for appropriations. I'm, I'm very curious, uh, especially, Kristen, having, you having worked with Blue Dogs, the moderates who have an interest in legislating and, and compromising. There's all this talk about if you bring back a transparent earmark process. Uh, people get along. It's not a, it's supposed to be a, a bribe, but it's supposed to encourage people to bring something home. Do you think there's actually a, a, a practical effect on legislating with the return to earmarks? Does this actually help people get along? Yes. I mean, a resounding yes. Yeah. I mean, I was in the House when we still had earmarks, when members, um, they learn about each other's district, when they are the ones. I mean, this is not new money. This is just how do you spend the money and who's in charge of figuring it out? And when the members have to work together to figure out, they're talking on the floor, they're, they're talking to each other about what's important to my district, it, it necessarily helps them work together. And then just practically speaking, when you include these things in different bills, you know, there's an incentive there um, for them to work together. So I think, you know, the, the earmark has been a political punching bag for way too long. And um, I'm really happy to see it come back. So this is supposed to be, you know, 1% of discretionary funding. Out of all the money that the federal government spends, it is limited to $15 billion. Although I'm curious if there are going to just be embarrassments. Um, Rick, what do you think, especially I know there are going to be conservatives who hit Democrats on this for bringing back earmarks. Do you, how much political risk do you see in this? Yeah, I have to channel my old boss, John McCain, on earmarks. <laughs> uh -huh. He'll come back and haunt me for life if I don't. You know, bridges to nowhere didn't come out of nowhere, right? I mean, you know, you got a $2 trillion infrastructure bill and you're going to have earmarks. Wow, what's that all about? Uh, you're going to have shipbuilding in Utah. I mean, it's the kind of thing that really promotes bad behavior fiscally. Now, does it mean you can get more things done in legislation? Sure. But like, what are we trying to do? Pass bad bills or are we trying to save taxpayer money? And I think you've got to always side on saving taxpayer money. 
don't tell that to Don Young of Alaska. His list of requested <laughs> earmarks came out, uh, and I noticed he requested far more than even the chairman of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Uh, and that's the guy who pushed these so-called bridge to nowhere. He would fight us on on calling it a bridge to nowhere. Uh, but that's 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 something for us to look forward to more. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I've been joined by Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Kristen Hahn, who's a partner at Rock Solutions. Thanks again to Congress, uh, to uh, Congressman Don Beyer, Democrat of Virginia. Uh, and we'll see what happens with uh, with earmarks there. And if there is indeed shipbuilding in Utah, uh, as, as Rick described it. Uh, again, big news uh, on po- uh, p- police policy, uh, as well as the Republican pushback to Biden's plans uh, that he enunciated yesterday. With that, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.